Hebrews chapter 13 says this amazing truth, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we praise God for that amazing truth. Kids, you're gone, right? All right, you're out. Some people come to us and they ask, semi-regularly, why don't you ever talk about politics when you preach? Why don't you ever address elections when you preach? We hear that very often, and sometimes it's with, with much intensity that people are coming and saying, you as the church need to be speaking directly into what's going on in the life of our country. Well, let me say this, and I believe I speak for all the elders when I, when I say this. I believe we do it every Sunday morning. I believe we do it absolutely every Sunday morning. Listen to this. God is the, he's the convictor of the heart of the individual, all right? Second Peter chapter 1, this is not the sermon, by the way, but we are addressing what's going to be happening on Tuesday right now from the pulpit. But here's what I want you to hear. First and foremost, we believe we address it every Sunday when we open and declare the word of God to you. Second Peter chapter one, verses three and four say this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. His divine nature has given to each one of us absolutely everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, so of course, we need to know him in order to understand the things that he provides for us as it relates to life and godliness. Life and godliness. Who called us to his own glory and excellence. And then verse four says this, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So in order to know God in his divine nature, in order to be able to experience what he is telling us, Regarding life and godliness, we must understand what the full counsel of the Word of God has to say. So, if you ask, why don't you ever speak into what's going on in the life of our country? We can say every Sunday, we speak to you in regard to what's going on in the life of our country every time we open the Word of God because it declares to us what is necessary for life and godliness, okay? God is the convictor of the heart. So as we preach the word of God to you, we are trusting that with the word of God and the Holy Spirit directing you, he is going to walk into the booth with you on Tuesday and he is going to direct you in the way you would vote. That's what we believe here, all right? God is the convictor. God also, and this is an amazing truth that we all need to settle down on. I learned this. We learned this in uh, Bjorn's... um, doctrine class, that somewhere around 300 years after the life of Jesus Christ, the church was under intense persecution by Rome. And somewhere around 300 years after, during, in the midst of all this persecution, the leader of Rome gives his life to Jesus. And the persecution against the church stops. Wouldn't that be really amazing? That's not a matter of us stepping into a booth and voting and determining what happens. That is the Holy Spirit of God falling on a government official and determining that he is going to stop persecution over the church by changing the heart of the individual. We are about the change of the heart of the individual. 
God is in control. Listen to this. Consider what happened to the government. Constantine, right? Where's Bjorn? Is that right? Yeah, Constantine. Consider what happened to him. Proverbs 21, verse 1, wisest man ever. King Solomon says, the king's heart, he says this of himself and every other king, every other government official that God would determine would be in his or her position when they are. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. So let's be at peace because God is doing exactly what he intends to happen in the life of our country, no matter what happens on Tuesday or following. Anyone who's in a position of authority, God says, his heart is in my hands like water. I determine exactly what's happening. So let's be at peace. All right? So let me say this. Two questions. How does God want me to vote on Tuesday? I trust that with the word of God in hand and the Holy Spirit in you, you're going to vote exactly the way God wants you to vote. So consider that when you step in, God, how would you have me to do that? And here's another one. Maybe consider this. Constantine, his heart changed. It benefited the church in an extraordinary way. Maybe think in terms of, okay, God, I want to vote in accordance with the way you would want me to vote. And Lord, also, I want to vote in such a way that it benefits the church. I don't know how voting would benefit the church, but God does. So with those two things in mind, when you step into the voting booth, God, how do you want me to do it? And how's it going to benefit the church? Okay? So for those who are curious why we never do, we believe we always do speak about everything that pertains to life and godliness. Okay? So enough about Tuesday. Let's get into what, I mean, that matters. It absolutely matters. But let's get back in to the word of God in our series that we're going through right now in Titus. So I've already burned a lot of time with that. Very important. But listen, I want to, let's keep going after. We started in Titus a couple of months ago and we set out to be memorizing together. Um, Titus chapter two, verses, verses 11 to 14. I am not a pressure person. I cannot function under pressure. So I cannot stand up here and recite it for you and prove to you that I have it memorized because I'm under pressure. All right? So here's what we're going to do. Verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for everyone. He's bringing salvation for all people. That's his saving grace. Verse 12 is his training grace, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's his training grace. Verse 13 is an anticipated grace. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming again. And then verse 14 is an expression of his motivating grace. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what we want to be memorizing together. We believe that this encapsulates everything that Titus, that Paul is teaching to Titus that he intends for you and I to latch on to as well. Titus 2, 11 to 14. Stay after it, church. Let's get it memorized together. The sermon series is this. It's calibrated. We want our church to be calibrated. Calibrated, a church that works. 
calibrated to the word of God. And so as Jasper reminds us over and over and over again, we are a church that works not for salvation, but because of salvation. There's not a single thing we need to do in order to earn the favor of God. He places it on us because he loves us. He brings us into everlasting relationship with him by extending us his gift of salvation to us. There's not a single thing we can do. So we're not working for salvation. We are working because of what he's done for us in salvation. And you can see it in verse 14. That we would be zealous for good works because of what he has done for us. Two weeks ago, we started kind of this mini-series within the series. Titus chapter 2 verse 1 says that we are to teach, spiritual leadership is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. So not just sound doctrine that fills the head, but what accords with sound doctrine. So what we are teaching you, the truths of the word, is that it sinks into your heart and it makes an everlasting change. So what accords with sound doctrine? Doctrine, yes, but how does that apply to my everyday life For me personally, in my marriage, in my parenting, as I interact with friends, as I interact with family, how is it that this practically applies to my life so that I can live it out? That's what we started a couple of weeks ago. And so two weeks ago, I had the privilege of addressing older men that we are to be sound in the faith. Last week, Jasper did a marvelous job of addressing older women and how they are to instruct younger women. And today... Today I get to address the younger men. And so here's what we're going to hear. This one is highly, highly focused on self-control. So the entirety of the message flows out of, he's going, we're going to see that Paul is telling Titus, I want you to instruct younger men to be self-controlled. And then he's going to, have an, he's going to address Titus himself and say, he says to him, I want you to be a model of good works. Now, you can't be a model of good works if you're not self-controlled, right? So the model of good works goes hand in hand with being self-controlled. And then he goes on to say, I want your teaching, I want your teaching to be teaching with integrity and dignity, and I want it to be sound as you instruct. None of that matters if you are not an individual that is living a life that is self-controlled. Because what, happened, what would happen to you if I stood up here and I, and I declared to you that I am not self-controlled in 25 different areas of my life, but I'm standing up here telling you exactly how you should express self-control in your life? It's hypocrisy, right? There is, there is no weight in what I would declare if I had to say I am not self-controlled. So everything... The entirety of this message falls out of the truth of God is calling us, now listen, all of us, but I'm thinking in particular of younger men, he's calling us to be self-controlled. Why? We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, to protect the reputation of the word, to to protect our own testimony as we display and portray Christ and speak of him in our lives and also for the sake of the souls who are watching and listening. It would be our desire as we live a self-controlled life, if we are, as we are sound in our teaching, that others would see and know and put their trust in God because of what they see and hear in us and through us. So here's the key. Godly character, 
Godly character and godly integrity matters the most. Two bullet points here to kind of break that down. Here's what matters the most. Summit does not want to present well. We don't want to program well. Summit Church wants to be well. Listen to how Jesus says it to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. A whitewashed tomb, which, is outward, which outwardly appears beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Your outward appearance is righteous, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Summit doesn't want to present well, we want to be well. Because we know when we are well in relationship with Christ and self-control, model of good works, sound in our teaching, if we are well, then guess what? We are going to naturally present well. To be men and women of godly character and integrity is what matters the most. All right? So turn with me now as we get into this today. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. We're going to read this together. And so here we go. Hope you're there. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. This is a message to the young men, younger men. Likewise, Paul says to Titus, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, verse 6. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity, that's verse 7. Verse 8, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So who's this passage written to? It's clearly written to younger men. Now, younger men, verse 6, is Paul telling Titus, I want you to instruct the younger men that are in your life, that are in the church on the island of Crete, I want you to instruct them to be self-controlled. All right? But then Paul says to Titus, who is a younger man, probably in the neighborhood of 30 years old, Paul says to him, this is what I want from you. I want you to tell the young men to be self-controlled, but I want you, in all respects, to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, if you marry those two together, they are full, even though, even though Paul is telling Titus, urge the younger men to be this way, he understands also that he must be self-controlled. And as younger men, ages 60 and younger, specifically speaking to us. What is spoken to Titus applies to you and me as well. That we have to be men who model good works and that we're sound in our teaching that display dignity and integrity. Self-control is a big deal in this church, actually on the island of Crete. It was a really big deal. Now look at this. Paul says five different ways and five different times in the book of Titus, self-controlled. 
It was one of the characteristics, it is one of the characteristics for the installation of elders, the leaders in that church, he says, that they must be self-controlled. You heard it two weeks ago, he said to the older men in the church, you must be self-controlled. Last week, you heard from um, Jasper as he preached to the older ladies, older ladies, you are to be instructing the younger ladies in your church to be self-controlled. That doesn't mean the older women don't have to be self-controlled. How would they know how to teach to be self-controlled if they weren't themselves as well? So God is telling elders, he's telling older men, he's telling um, the ladies of the church. Now today he's telling younger men, let's be self-controlled. And if that isn't enough, in in a couple of weeks you're going to hear it again in verse, what is it? In verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live what? Self-controlled lives. Self-control was a big deal in Crete. I wonder what their issues were, their areas of self-control that they struggled with in their lives. I wonder what they were. Well, we know two specific ones that are declared by one of their own people that Paul cites. He says they are lazy gluttons. They were not self-controlled as it relates to work ethic, and they were not self-controlled as it relates to what they eat. It would be fun to dig into what Crete's church issues were as it relates to self-control, but I don't think we need to worry too much about what was going on there. We need to be worried about or concerned about what areas of self-control exist in the lives and the hearts of Summit Church. What are they? So younger men, here we go. Suppose I know you very intimately, that you and I are in, like, we hang out every other week at least, and I know you well. And I say, here's what I believe about you. Here's what I've seen. Here's what your testimony bears witness to, that you are a man who struggles with anger. What does that do to you? What if I come to you and I say, look, I know you well enough to know right now that one of your main areas of of self-control is purity. I've watched you lay around the house and I've watched your wife take care of everything. I believe you have an issue with laziness. I've watched you spend a day with you and I watched you consume food at a level that is not healthy. You struggle with gluttony, self-control. What kind of things does that provoke in your heart right now? Like if, if you and I were sitting face to face and I just drilled you with it right now, what happens? Are you angered? Like there was a day in my life, if I was angry and someone told me to relax, that's the exact opposite word to use as it relates to my struggle with my anger. Don't tell me to relax because that's gonna provoke me. So if I came up to you and I said, look, it's time for you to relax. I see the way you're treating your wife. I see the way you handle your kids. Relax. What does it provoke in your heart when I say, you are angry. You are not pure. You are not, you are, you are gluttonous. You are lazy. What kind of things come to your mind? 
Are you thankful because God has done a magnificent work? And you know that that is a temptation that you continue to wrestle with, but you see growth in your life. Are you driven to thankfulness? Are you defeated because you've lost the battle over and over and over again? And you're like, Todd, I need help. What do I do? Is there hopelessness? Are you aggravated? What kind of emotional provocation comes when I say to you and I call you out for whatever your thing is? What would keep you from listening today? If you look at verse six, Paul says, likewise, spiritual leadership, urge. So I'm here urging you today. I am urging you. Urging or teaching what accords with sound doctrine. So you have a challenge with your anger. So here I come. Let's practically talk about how to handle your anger from a biblical perspective. Urging requires Teaching sound doctrine requires two individuals, one who is ready and willing and able to teach what accords with sound doctrine, and it takes an individual ready and willing to listen and to receive. I said this a couple of weeks ago, one of the most wearisome experiences in the life of anyone who would call themselves or is a spiritual leader is when those who they're trying to help just don't listen. That's what makes a spiritual leader weary. Pastor Ken, our former senior pastor, he said this to me, one of the most valuable truths that he ever shared with me. He said, Todd, you can take, you can take the soundness of doctrine and you can put a spoonful it up to the lips of the individual that needs help, but you cannot make them take it. So as I urge you today, Please receive not what I'm saying, but the word of God is saying, what the word of God is saying. Here's another concern as it relates to, likewise, urge the younger men. In urging, this is one of the great concerns. I want you to not hurt. I want you to not experience frustration and hopelessness and anger and frustration I don't want you to experience those things. So here's the temptation for the urger, the one that is a spiritual leader in your life declaring the word. We don't want to be a salve, an ointment on the wound that comes because the Holy Spirit is determining you need to hurt right now. I can't get your attention. So the, the, one, of the, one of the great concerns is we don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to get between today, what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in your heart and you. Don't want to be a salve. We want to teach what accords with sound doctrine. I want to teach what accords with sound doctrine. I want you to deal with whatever it is that would keep you from listening today to what the word of God has to say and open your ears and your hearts and be ready to receive. So, Here's our question that we want to answer. How can younger men, how can younger men, 60 or younger, be calibrated to the word of God? How can, in in very simple terms, how can you take on the likeness of Jesus Christ, your savior? I'm going to give you the first two right back to back because they are so closely knit together. The first one is by being self-controlled. I want a magic word, Todd. Come on, give it to me. All right, we're coming to that. Come on, I've struggled with this for so long. Just give me that magic word that's going to give me the ability to be self-controlled in this area of my life. That's the first one, being self-controlled. It's what it takes. 
Here's another one. By modeling good works. That's what he told um, Titus. So look at verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. That's our first one that we're trying to get after today. And then show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Well, you cannot model good works if you are not self-controlled. And in order to model Christ-likeness, you must be self-controlled. This, the verse six and the beginning of verse seven can be interpreted two different ways. So look at this. This is the way some would suggest it can be interpreted. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled in all respects. So they would take in all respects that prepositional phrase and they would attach it to being self-controlled. So be self-controlled in all respects. That's simple enough to say, okay, great. Because if you're told to be, if you're being told to be self-controlled, you must be self-controlled in every area of your life, not just the ones that you pick and choose. But also, as you can see, um, it, it, at least as it relates to the ESV, and I believe the New American Standard, as well as the NIV, um, it can also be also the, in all respect, tied to a model of good works. I put these two points together because they are so closely re- related to each other and bound together in all respects that that's, what, that's where we're going to put them. All right? Lack of self-control, big deal on Crete. We've already talked about some of that. Self-control, what is it for you? I want you again, take it right forefront of your mind. What is your big issue matter with self-control? All right? I'm gonna list Crete or lazy gluttons, laziness and gluttony. In my 15, 16 years experience in the life of the church, I want you to hear this. Okay, purity, anger, laziness, gluttony, and misspending are all areas in the lives of young men in the church that they struggle with self-control. Some cover every base. Some have one or two they're working with, but these are the ones. Purity, here's what this says, purity. When you struggle with purity, what you're saying, God, you're saying, God, what you have for me is not enough. It's just not enough. I'm determined to satisfy myself with what I believe I need. What you're saying to God is, it's not enough. Anger. Simply put, I'm not getting my way. Life, relationships, circumstances. It rains when I want it to be sunny, and it's Sunny when I want it to be raining. I'm not getting my way. So you're given to anger. Laziness. You're communicating. Others should be and need to be taking care of me. It's all about me, right? Gluttony. Once again, what God has for me is not enough. Spending. I can't be satisfied. I just can't be satisfied. Look, I know that one. I just got a new Jeep. It's not new. I just got a Jeep. And when you drive around, there are like so many Jeeps around and you're seeing how they've tricked that one out and how this guy's tricked his out and you see he got a, he got a little rubber ducky. I still haven't gotten one because I haven't done anything with mine. If, you, if someone's impressed with your Jeep, they give you a little rubber ducky. Kevin has one. Kevin Marsman, he has one. Like, I get it. I get it. It's like, oh my goodness, that's only 25 bucks. That's only 130. This is only, and before you know it, you spent how much on tricking out your, your vehicle? 
It's an expression of I'm not content. Purity, anger, laziness, gluttony, spending. So which is yours? Which are yours? How many of these? All right, so, so listen. Here's where you're coming. If you're someone that's hopeless, if you are someone right now that's dealing with, I, I just can't, I, I have been battling this for decades and I can't seem to get out of it. Here's the caution, young men. Speak to an older man that battled with it for decades. Now is the time to start grasping for control, for self-control. And you're, right now you're like, but that just sounds like a work. Well, it actually is, but hang in there for a second, okay? Let's go back to the rut that you were digging for yourself. Here it is. I look at a picture. It does something in me I never imagined I could feel. You look at that picture over and over and over again. You get tired of that one. You look at another one. You need something new. Get bored with that and look at another. Look at another. Look at another. Buy a magazine. Look at a website. Bam, bam, bam. The image is no longer enough. So here's what I need next. I need to see it in action. So I'm going to look at a video. I'm looking at another video. And I look at a video and another video. And you go on and on with video after video. And you've come to a point where you're like, oh my goodness, that's not enough anymore. I actually want to experience that. And before you know it, you are in a chasm that's as deep as the darkest valley of the shadow of death that you can possibly imagine you've come to a place of hopelessness. So what's the magic word? Here's the magic word. It's given to us right here. Self-control. Simply choose, I'm not going to do this. And you're like, but I can't, I can't. I was warned by an old man Be careful what you pray for. Be careful how you pray. I sat with a group of young men, this older guy, and he was like, all these younger men were talking about, I just, man, I just don't want to struggle with purity anymore. I don't want to, Lord, I just want him to change my, I just want him to change, don't make make me not want it. And this, this guy, he goes, say this very carefully, he goes, no way, man. Celebrate Celebrate what God has given you and intends for you to have in the right setting. Celebrate that. You don't want him to take that desire away from you. He said, the day is coming when you're an older man where you're gonna want some of that back. That's what he said to the younger men. And then he said, be self-controlled. That is the magic word. Be self-controlled. Oh man. Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 4 verse 6 and 7. Here it is. You want God to take it away from you. Cain and Abel, the first two brothers, Cain is upset because the two of them, both he and his brother gave a sacrifice to God. God was pleased with Abel's, he was not pleased with Cain. And Cain is sitting there moping and he's angry. And he's seething because God did not accept his gift, okay? This relates to no matter what your, le- what your area of self-control is, this covers it all. God says to him, why are you angry, Cain? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And this is what he says. I know you've heard this many times in the life of this church. 
And if you do not do well, understand this, that sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Be self-controlled. Do not let it rule over you. What God just said to Cain is, look, temptation is always going to be knocking on your door. Always. And he says, but you must rule over it. Do not let it consume you. Whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether you have an issue with food, whether you are lazy, God is saying, don't, do not let it master you. You rule over it. Here's the fallout for lacking in self-control. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, you can expect your heavenly father is going to bring discipline into your life and you should celebrate that because he also says that he's treating you as his own child. Praise God that he doesn't leave us to ourselves. If you look at James chapter one, verses 13 to 14, God is, or, or James is talking about temptation and it comes and when, ta- when you give in to this desire and this temptation that is knocking at your door, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Here's what discipline is going to come for the child of God because he's not going to let you die in your sin. He's not gonna let you do it. You might die physically, but God will do whatever it takes to get your attention to snap you out of whatever it is that you're stuck in to bring you to a place of self-control, James chapter one. Here's what else is at stake. You tarnish the testimony of our Lord. And when you declare, you live a life of hypocrisy. You hurt the heart of God. You hurt the, those in your life. And you keep digging the rut, the valley, deeper and deeper. Church, we must be self-controlled. I need to say it now. I can't wait till the end. Because you're like, well, this sounds like work. It sounds like work. It sounds like work. yes. But here's what we know. You, we cannot change our heart. We can only change how we respond to how we feel in our heart. Psalm 51, and I challenge you, whatever your issue is, you memorize Psalm 51. Memorize it, all right? Memorize it. Practically speaking, memorize Psalm 51 because the psalmist, David says, create in me a clean heart. He knows he can't do it himself and renew a right spirit within me. That's what he says, Psalm 51. You cannot change your heart, but you must rule over and control the way you respond to the sickness in your heart. And I guarantee you this, the more you experience victory in your battle for self-control, the more, um, the more pleased God is. And he starts taking away from what was in living color, 3D video, and he makes it nothing but flat gray scale that's fuzzy and you don't even care about it anymore. Let God change your heart. You fight for self-control. How can a young man be calibrated to the word of God? By knowing what you teach and how to teach it. We're out of time, but listen to this. We are an aroma Our lives declare we're a fragrance to the unsaved and to the saved. As we live lives of self-controlled, we smell marvelous to each other. When we live lives self-controlled, those who are not saved cannot stand that we live the way we do. We do not want to be peddlers of God's word, but we must know what it is we're teaching. 
We must know what it is. Where would you go right now? So where would you go right now if your son came to you and said, I have a purity issue? Young men, this is to you. Where would you go right now if your your son, 10 years old, looks at you and he says, I need help. Do you know what you're going to do? Here's what I heard one man say. Not in our church, so don't play the guessing game. He said, I'd send him to his mom. She knows how to deal with that. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. You know exactly what he's going through because you were there yourself. Young men, where would you go right now in order to help your son? That's the message here. That's the message here. In your teaching, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. What would you do if your daughter, if you noticed your daughter is eating more than she should? Where would you go? What would you do? How would you respond? Would your teaching be with integrity and dignity? Would it be sound? Where would you go? What if you saw a friend acting in such a way that promoted, that that said he's lazy? What if your wife is angry? Would you have any idea how to respond to that? It's a big deal, isn't it? Where would you go? I'm going to use one of these for the sake of time. Let's say your son comes to you and he's struggling with purity. Here's what I would do. Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? Be like, son, we're going to memorize Psalm 51 together. Here we go. We're going to pray that God would create in you a clean heart and renew a right spirit within you. Okay, so how are we going to do that? Okay, we're going to memorize. Psalm 37, son, we're going to learn what it means to delight in the Lord. Not in the sickened sickness that this world has to offer us. We're going to delight ourselves in the Lord and let him determine the desires of our heart. I go to Psalm 119.9. I go to Psalm 37. And then I would do this. I would simply lay out the consequences for losing that battle. Yeah, there are consequences. You know what they are. We've already talked about this. And I would say this. Never, ever, 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 ever quit. The moment you quit... is the moment the Lord is going to bring, if you are his, he's going to bring something into your life to snap you back to full attention. Don't ever quit. Don't quit. Come alongside. That relates to no matter what a family member, a friend, that simple truth is real and right no matter what the battle with self-control is. You're like, oh my goodness, that's scary. It's a big deal, but invite the opportunity and don't be afraid to fail. I'm going to tell you something. I got a degree in business. I got another degree in education. I am not seminary trained. You know how I learned to stand up here and declare the word of God? Through both successes and failures, and the failures are the ones that I'm here and remember the most. Look, your youngest should be the one that is best trained because you've learned from the f- successes and failures of the ones that are older in your life. Because you learn. Do not be afraid to step into it and fail. God cares that you try. 
Be sound in your teaching. Here we go. Let's wrap it up with this. Why is this such a big deal? Verse 8 says, So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Simply what this means. By living a self-controlled life, modeling good behavior and teaching the right things, we're not giving the enemy anything to say about us. It's for the sake of the reputation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We declare forgiveness. We declare purity. We declare the help of the Lord. We declare you can live a self-controlled life. And when you do, you are declaring. You are, you are protecting the reputation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And here it is. That the opponent may be put to shame. Shame is a very effective tool in the hands of the Lord. Very effective tool in the hands of the Lord. It would be my desire that some at church in its community, that others would see they live a self-controlled life. Something is different. And because we live self-controlled lives, they are provoked to shame for their lack of self-control. So that maybe God, I pray for the heart, the heart and the soul of that individual that you would bring that person into everlasting relationship with you. And that they would be able to experience because of the cross of Jesus Christ, freedom from the nasty things that grip everyone. And that's it. Self-control is hard, isn't it? We're called to it. We're called to model good behavior and we're called to know how to teach what needs to be taught. That's us, younger men. Father in heaven, we come before you now. Thank you for the strength and the magnificence of your word. I'm so thankful, God, for your unending patience with us as we see, succeed, and fail, as we succeed and fail. Thank you so much for your patience, for your mercy, and for your grace. Lord, we pray now that you would create in us all a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. We know that you will not cast us away. We know, Lord, that you promise that you will always remain with us, that you will not take your spirit from us. Lord, we welcome your discipline. May we live self-controlled lives before you and others. We pray this in Jesus' name.